Sometimes it's good for us to ask a simple question. What are we doing here? We say, well, we're here for worship. We know that, and that's true. But, but as a church, in a bigger sense, as we think about why we exist, what are we doing here and why are we doing it? It's always good for us as a church to think about the reason for our existence, the purpose, the mission that we're all about. And so for a couple weeks, I want us to do just that. I want us to think about our mission, what this place, this group of people is all about. We have a pretty sizable ministry in a town for our size, right? I mean, we have ministry teams that are doing all kinds of work. Last Sunday, many of you walked through the fellowship hall and saw some of what those teams are doing. Our kids' ministry is active today. Our student ministry will be active later. We had people making coffee at like six o'clock or seven o'clock this morning. People are active all the time doing ministry at Taylorville Christian Church. And then you add to that 200 kids who walk in our building every day as a part of Vision Way Christian School, and they're learning about all sorts of things, whether it's science or history or social studies or math, but they're also learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And with that, it's a pretty large impact on our community. And it's good for us to think through, why are we here? What are we doing? Because if we're not careful, we drift from our mission. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but we, we lose track of why we've said we exist. And so for a couple weeks, I want us to revisit our mission, our purpose statement. And today I'm going to preach about some of that. In the next week, our administrator at the school, John Parrish, is going to sort of finish this up because, you know, I want us to realize that as an organization, as a whole ministry, we are united in purpose. We are one ministry doing God's work in several different ways, but ultimately our mission is the same. And, and we want to clarify that and revisit that for this Sunday and next Sunday. And the good news is, Scripture is really clear about why the church should exist. And lots of churches will say we're here for biblical reasons, but if you scratch just underneath the surface, what you find is that many churches exist for other reasons. There are different things going on than actual biblical reasons for existing. Like some churches, you can tell, they really exist to, to sort of be a club for the members, right? I mean, the members are the, the ones who benefit. There's very little even interest in what's going on outside the church. So we have our place with our people, with stuff we like to do, and it's all about pleasing ourselves. Some churches will go that route, and it really becomes just that. Other churches, it's all about dispensing religious goods and services, right? We're a great place to have a wedding. If you want to get married, come here. Uh, funerals take place here. We also gather on Sunday morning, and if you come on Sunday morning, you're probably going to go away feeling better than when you got here. And yeah, we're going to do a few other things as well, and it's all about sort of dispensing that stuff that feels pretty religious, and the question is, is that a reason for a church to exist? Other churches, you can tell it's all about being a learning institution, right? They are about the teaching, and so they're going to teach Bible truths. Now, is that important? Absolutely. We need to be communicating what the Bible says about how we live our lives and what it means to be the church. And we don't do any of that if we don't teach Bible. But is that the only reason the church exists? Or it might be about being a community service organization. We could be that too, right? Do good things in the community, help people in need. Should we be doing that? Absolutely. Again, there's good there, 
but is that the reason that the church exists? Well, we could go on and on with that. We might say we could be an entertainment venue. Uh, Jerry talked about this in, in, as leading worship a couple weeks ago and said, you know, there are churches that, man, it's so good. People are showing up for the worship, for the songs. But is it just the quality of worship, the, the quality of musicianship that this is really all about? And ultimately, there's more. Each one of those has some level of truth, but if we go too far down one single path, we miss what it means to be the church. Now, fortunately, there are many places that we could turn in the New Testament to find biblical writers talking about what it means to be the church and why we're gathered here in this place today. And, and I want us to look at one that we've looked at specifically over the years because eight years ago we established our mission is, you see it on the screen now, to love God and love others. And the place that we went to establish that and to hear the words of Jesus is a passage that's probably familiar to many of you that we find in Mark chapter 12. And in Mark 12, what we see is that Jesus has been answering some questions. People have been challenging him with really difficult religious questions, okay? And it's almost been a debate between Jesus and some other teachers of the law. But one teacher has been overhearing that. And he's got a question for Jesus because he's seen the quality of Jesus' answers. And sometimes scholars have wondered, is this guy trying to trap Jesus or is it a genuine question? Now, there's no way for us to go back 2,000 years and reread this man's mind, but my guess is it's a pretty genuine question. And this is it. We find it in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, Jesus and these other biblical scholars. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him. So this is the question. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now what commandments is he talking about? This man is thinking back to what we call the Old Testament, what would have been his Bible, because the New Testament's not written yet. He's thinking back to the law, which is the first five books of the Bible, filled with God's instruction. There's certainly stories there, but over and over we see, we see God saying to his people, this is how you act like the chosen people of God. Okay, You do this, you don't do this. 613 commands that we find there. And so this man, this teacher of the law, who's really familiar with all of that, comes to Jesus and says, of all those 613 that show up in our Bible, in the law, Jesus, which is the greatest? Now this was a question that the Bible teachers of the day sort of debated back and forth. They talked about the weightier commands of the Bible that required a lot of people and were really important, and the lighter commands which didn't seem to be as important and were pretty easy to obey. But this man is saying of all those which is the one that, like, we got to hammer this one home? This is the one we always have to go back to. Jesus, which one is it? And Jesus answered the question, and he answers it pretty straightforwardly by quoting the Old Testament, a passage that we find in Deuteronomy 6. And in fact, this passage sort of had a label, a title, if you will, for the people of the ancient world. It was called the Shema, and that's the Hebrew word for here because... The passage Jesus quotes from begins with that Hebrew word, 
Shema. So this is Jesus' answer in verse 29. The most important one, the most important command, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now the first thing you might notice when you read that is, that's not a command, is it? It's a statement. It's a statement of fact. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Hebrew wording there, if you go back to the original in Deuteronomy chapter 6, is hear, O Israel, Yahweh, God, Yahweh, one. The personal name for God given by God to his people. And it simply says, Yahweh is God, and there's only one. So the people of Israel living in this world where every ancient city and town, and in fact most homes, had their own gods. And so they attempted to please all of these gods. The people of Israel said, no, there's not all these gods, not a multiplicity of gods. Gods everywhere you turn, there is one God. And it is the God who created the universe, the God who brought humanity into being. It is this Yahweh God, the one God who called us out of slavery in Egypt and made us into a people. That's the one God. And Jesus repeats that. So this is not a command. This is, here's the facts. Here's the most important fact. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, he is one. And then Jesus starts with the commands. Verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now what Jesus is saying is, just like Deuteronomy, God is one. The one true God is God. And that has implications for the way that we live. If this one God created all that is, gave us life, sustains our lives, offered for Jesus, offered Jesus as he will, died to die on the cross for our sins, if that's the one God, then we owe him something. And what do we owe him? Everything. That's what Jesus says. Love the Lord your God with all you've got. Whatever it is, whether it's your strength of will, whether it's your strength of body, whether it's your soul, your very being, the point is whether it's your time or your talent or your money, whatever you've got, love the Lord your God with all of that. Jesus says that's the most important commandment there is. That's where you start. Everything else really flows from that. This is the all-encompassing everything command, and everything else comes from that. Now, Jesus is not done with this. He's got one more command he's going to give him. The man asks for what's the most important. Jesus gives two. First, love the Lord your God with everything you got, and then he adds one more to it. And John's going to talk about that next week because that's the second half of this. So there's more implications to this, but... But for us today, what does this teach us? What's the key here for us? Jesus is saying, whatever you do, love God first. And that feeds into our mission statements where it comes from. Love God, love others. 
And if we boil this down to what Jesus says in that one verse, I think it's this, love God above all else. There are going to be other things that you love in this world, and you should. But before all of that and standing above that and and the way everything is organized in our lives, that tells us how we love everything else. Love God above all else with everything you have. Now, that has implications for us as individuals, And it has implications for us as a church, what it means to be the church. Now, what it says for us as individuals is, listen, this is the God who made us, sustains us, saves us, offers us eternal life. So serving him can't be like real life is over here, work that's really important to us, family that matters as much as anything, marriages, friends, hobbies, all that. Here's real life and oh yeah, Here's this yeah, church, this religious part. I'll bring that in. And, you know, once or twice a month, I'll show up and do the church thing because it makes me a better person and the kids need it. it. That is not what Jesus is talking about. Our religion is not an appendage of our lives. Our faith in God, our love for God is the very heart of who we are. And that means reorganizing and reorienting everything around That, that's what Jesus is saying. Love God above all else. It goes back to what we've said over and over, that we were created in the image of God for a reason. We are called to reflect who God is to the people around us. And one of the ways that they know who God is is by the way we show our love for God in everything we do. That communicates who this God is. And so we're called to love God above all else. But it speaks to us as a church too. Now we could devote ourselves to any of those purposes that we talked about earlier. Some of them good, some of them maybe okay, but not great. But none of them are at the core of what it means to be the church. What does it mean to be the church? Love God above all else. There's lots of things we can do as a church. But what Jesus is saying to us, the church, is everything we do as church has to be oriented around loving God. Now, it's easy for us to drift from that, as I said, because really urgent things come up. Things that have to be done with a building, right? I mean, there are things that come up, you've got to fix it. You can't say, okay, well, we're going to first sit down and think about whether fixing the roof is loving God. you got to fix the roof, right? And so all those urgent things show up and we're just plugging holes and we forget to take a step back and think, okay, is this programming? Is this budget line item? Is this thing that we've been doing for a long time really about loving God? Or is it just something that we've fallen in the habit of doing because we've been doing it so long? And so it's good for church leaders, for ministry teams, for individual Christians to say, okay, as a church, are we really loving God in what we're doing in this community and the communities that surround us? So over and over again, we have to come back and say, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Why do we exist It's not just to make us, the members, happy. It's not just so we can teach biblical truth, and again, important, but not the only thing. 
It's not just community service. It's not just about having a place for people to get married. It's about expressing the love of God to the people around us. And you know that brings with it an incredible challenge and opportunity for us, the church. Because what that means is every generation, including us in the present time, are called to reinterpret what it means to to love God because our culture changes, people change. How we interact with the culture is going to continually change. And we have to rethink, okay, what does it mean for us in this time, in this place, to love God above everything else? What does that look like? And sometimes that means change, and change is uncomfortable and hard, and some of us don't like it. And yet, as Christians, what may have worked to show our love for God... 10, 20, 50, what our parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents were doing was not wrong, but it doesn't express the same thing in our day as it did then. And what may have happened is that as time went on, the things that they were doing and maybe some of us were doing have become empty and we're only doing them because we've always done them. And so for us and our children, and our grandchildren, we have to think and reinterpret and intentionally decide, is what we're doing really showing the love of God? Or does it need to be rethought? Now that's a great challenge and sometimes hard to grapple with, but I think it's a great opportunity as well. Because we as the church are never going to be done We're never going to have it right, and so now we're ready for all time. We can just keep doing what we're doing today. It means there's always going to be something to learn about God, and there's going to be some new way to relate to the culture. And so we're never going to be bored. Yes, it's a challenge, but it's also a great opportunity to interface with people who don't know Jesus and who can have a relationship with God through Him. And so we as a church need to embrace both the challenge and the opportunity of loving God above all else. And maybe for you that means it's time to make an initial commitment to Jesus. I'd love to talk with you about about that after the service. Just come up. I'd be glad to discuss that with you. But it means for us as a church, as we meet in ministry teams, as we plan our budgets, as we think about policies, as we think about how we interact with the community and teach God's Word and all those things we've talked about, We have to ask ourselves over and over again, does this reflect our love for God or not? And if it doesn't, how do we do that better? Let's pray together. God, we love you, and we want to show that love for you in everything we do. And so we pray that you'll show us how, because sometimes we don't know how. And we feel like we're always figuring this out, and ultimately we are. So guide us in a gathering like this, in teaching your word and serving in the community, in opening the doors of our school every day, that we would show your love and the love we have for you to the people around us so that they will know you. And God, we pray it in Jesus' name. 
Amen.